the school is out. Which means it's time for Hi Kids. Thank you for choosing Car Kids on Chai FM. My name is Jonathan Brick and I'm 10 years old and I'm your host for today. This is Car Kids for Kids Barking. So coming up on Chai Kids today, I'll be interviewing Rabbi Michael Katz. He'll be talking to us about Pesach. So stay tuned to 11.9 Chai FM. We'll get ready for a very interesting show on Chai Kids today. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 High FM. It's Hi Kids for Kids Buckets. My name is Jonathan Brick and I'm your host for today. Good afternoon, Rabbi, and welcome to this kids show. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to be with you. Pesach's the time of having guests, so I appreciate that you're having me as your guest today. Thank you. What is Pesach all about? What is Pesach all about? Pesach is about a lot of stuff, but let's just talk about it very, very briefly. Pesach is about... Freedom. It's about the time when we got out of Egypt. It was the very first time that the Jewish people were held captive, that we were in an exile, and we were made slaves in Egypt. And when we got out of Egypt, Hashem said, I want you to mark this time for every year from here on in, forever. You must mark this time as being something called Pesach. It's going to be a remembrance to you and a reminder to you that freedom has to be Sewn into your very body. It's got to be in your soul. It's got to be in your heart. The idea of always wanting to be free, not free as in I can do anything or I can do whatever I want, but free as in I'm free to serve Hashem. I'm free to practice my Judaism. And Pesach marks that moment. Thousands of years ago, when the Jewish people got out of Mitzrayim, when we got out of Egypt, when we crossed the Red Sea, yes, we went under the sea, we were crossing the sea, we went through the sea, the sea split for us, and that's what Pesach is actually celebrating. And the way we celebrate it is that we stay away from anything that we call leaven, anything that's got to do with uh, chametz, that's got to do with uh, bread that may have risen, all sorts of grains and so on that we stay away from. Um, and this is how we celebrate with a big meal that we have tomorrow night and the night thereafter called the Pesach Seder. And, um, well, I could go on and on, but I guess you've got some other questions that you want to ask me. Um, then what, if we went through the sea, then why did they play the song Under the Sea? Well, that you have to ask the little mermaids, I guess, because that uh, wasn't for Jews. We actually crossed the Red Sea. And amazingly, if we look at it carefully, you know that we didn't all cross in one channel. People think that, uh, you know, the sea split and we've been perhaps led a little bit astray by uh, artists' impressions of what the crossing, crossing of the Red Sea was all about or maybe in some movies. But actually, each tribe, each one of the 12 tribes walked separately through the Red Sea. They each had their own tunnel, like a tunnel um, or an opening that they could go through. And each one had split into 12 different parts. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't just yeah. one that it all back came back. in the back. movies. It wasn't just like in the movies. Yeah, this wasn't a movie. They haven't yet made a proper movie about the crossing of the Red Sea. Yeah. Just the Prince of Egypt. Isn't, came isn't close, accurate. came close, yeah, it's but not not, okay. not quite there, yeah. But aren't there like different opinions to where there's just one tunnel for every Jew or 12 different tunnels for well, each Well, the, the majority from a Jewish point of view is that there were actually 12 tunnels, for one for each, one for each group. 
But uh, no matter whether it was one or it was twelve, we've got to remember that Hashem made great miracles to get us out of there. But actually, if you think about it, you know that the crossing of the Red Sea he was at the end of Pesach. We're kind of jumping ahead. We re- we're sort of at the end of Pesach. The seventh day of Pesach celebrates the crossing of the Red Sea. The first day of Pesach celebrates when we made a Pesach Seder, when we made the Pesach offering, when we ate it with matzah, and that we actually left Egypt. So imagine... Shabbos morning, Saturday morning, this coming Shabbat morning, that was the time that we actually left Egypt, having had our Seder, having had our Pesach offering and all the wonderful things that go with it on the night before. Why, why do we have to have a Seder? Why can't it just be a Yontif? Where we, where we just go to Shul? So, you know, you, you've played some nice uh, music here and uh, we've sp- spoken about mermaids and all of this kind of thing. And we're thinking about movies and movies make things somehow real. But have you ever heard of things that are in, you're a modern kid, have you ever heard of things in 4D? You heard about stuff that comes in 3D or 4D? What does that actually mean? I've heard, I've heard 3D, like everything pops out. There. 3D, but you know that every Pesach Seder is 4D. Everything in the Pesach Seder has got to do with the number 4. There are four questions, there are four cups of wine, and so on. Now, why? Because there is nothing like 4D. 4D means that you can actually see everything. You can feel it. You can touch it. You can hold it. You can eat it. You can participate with it. It is the most incredible idea that Hashem gave us so many years ago. That if we want to remember things, or we want to educate our children, we want our kids to know what Pesach is all about, don't just give them something from a book, don't just read something like that, and don't even show them a movie, because that's not 4D. We want it to be in a way whereby they actually can take the pieces of matzah, they can feel them, they can see them, they can smell them, they can touch them, they can hold them, and they can eat them. They can make it part of this incredible learning experience. If you want to really understand a Pesach Seder, you've got to understand it in terms of it being a very important learning experience for each and every person who's sitting around the table. What do we do at the Pesach Seder? We ask questions, and we try and provide those answers. That's what the Haggadah is all about. So it's all about questions and answers and experience and enjoyment and having a good time of feeling what it's like to be together with your whole family. No cell phones allowed at the Seder table. Um, and no uh, Xboxes or anything else that kids are playing with today. Nothing like that. We just get involved in the Pesach Seder in a 4D experience. Why do we make a feast? Why do we make a feast? Well, isn't it worth celebrating Redemption, isn't it worth celebrating? Yes, but the, we, you know, we maybe lost it a little bit. That um, the actual feast is meant to be all the stuff that really brings about a spiritual freedom, a spiritual redemption. Now, I don't know about you, but when you eat a lot of matzah, it usually doesn't make you feel so free, right? It actually bogs you down a little bit. It doesn't make you feel so good. And people complain about feeling bloated when they've eaten a lot of matzah. It's not exactly the most appetizing food. While everybody's looking forward forward to it today, uh, talk to me on Saturday morning, on Shabbos morning, and see how you feel after having um, swallowed a few matzahs the night before. doesn't exactly make you feel so good. So I guess all the other foods come to kind of supplement all of that. But seriously, the idea was to celebrate, to celebrate getting out of Egypt, to celebrate our freedom, and ultimately really, uh, Yonatan, to celebrate being Jewish. That's the most powerful thing that you can think about at the Pesach Seder. We're celebrating being Jewish. And Jews like to eat. 
We like to eat. We like to drink. We like to have a good time. Take a look in every, I don't know where you daven, but on every uh, Shabbat, what's uh, the best part for most people of the uh, Shabbat morning service? The bracha, no? Kiddush. You're saying, yes, I'm, I'm only teasing. I'm joking. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully the best part is something called the Shema or the Amida or whatever. But really, we like to eat. We like to celebrate. It's nice to have a party. And this is a party that celebrates our freedom. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. What lessons or morals do we learn from Pesach? Oh, there are so many. Um, it's hard to even think about and uh, kind of uh, say that the, this one is more important than that one. One of them is the idea that nobody should be in bondage, the idea that nobody should ever be in, not free. And not free means not free to do what we want to be able to do as as Jews or on the other hand, as non-Jews, if uh, non-Jews aren't free, that's also bad. The idea of freedom, the idea of being able to do what is necessary to make the world better, to uh, keep our uh, our religion, to practice it and so on. We're living in a country where, thank God, we have the freedom to practice our Judaism. It's a big gift. And it wasn't always like that. There were many countries in the world and over the history of the, the Jewish people, there were many times when that freedom was taken away from us. And we have ingrained in us, it's actually, as I said right at the beginning, it's sewn into us, this idea that there is always the aspiration. We always want to be free. We need to have that as part of our beings. But it's not just free to run around and do what we want. It's free to serve Hashem. So that's just one idea. And there are many others. Um, the um, concept of Hashem being so powerful that God can do anything. God can do anything, you know. And people don't often think about it enough, I guess. But um, when the sun comes up in the morning, we call it a miracle. When it's, We call it nature. That's natural. We call it natural when the sun sets. We call it natural that it's light outside. We call it natural that we can see and so on. All of those things are so miraculous. They're incredibly miraculous things. We call things that happen against nature, we call them miracles. When the sea splits, when there are ten plagues, when there's all of that stuff, we call that miraculous. Jews have to perhaps rethink that um, at Pesach time we've got to refocus on the things that are miraculous and then the things that are super miraculous. And maybe that's another theme of Pesach, to focus on all the miracles. Why is Chomet such a big deal? Why do we have to get rid of every crumb? My mom found a pretzel in my drawer and she went crazy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what was the pretzel doing in your drawer in the first place? Huh? Pretzel shouldn't be kept in drawers. Anyway, the uh, truth of the matter is that um, we do go crazy when we find chomets and we're told to go crazy when we find chomets before Pesach because we've got to clean very carefully. Chomets represents Arrogance. Chometz represents self-pride. Let me give you a little example. You know, when you make matzah, the matzah comes out flat. When you make bread, it rises. The difference between the two, really, is the hot air that is contained within the bread, or within the dough, that rises, and it makes the dough rise. And that's what makes it all nice and soft and fluffy, is that there's air trapped between the little part, parts or particles of the dough. Right, So that's what makes it it's aerated. Matzah is flat. All the air is taken out of it. So when we're full of hot air, which 
some of us are, when we're full of hot air, when we are arrogant, when we're full of ourselves, that is chametz. That's like chametz. Comes Pesach, we have to say, no, we've got to be a little bit more humble. We've got to be a bit lower. We've got to be a bit more flat and a little bit more humble to understand that if it wasn't for Hashem, we'd still be slaves in Egypt. If it wasn't for Hashem, we would be in a lot, a lot of trouble. And God can and does make, Hashem makes miracles. He makes wonders, fantastic things for us. And to be appreciative of the fact that we are small and Hashem is big, and the Matzah continually reminds us of that. Chometz is the opposite. It's the opposite of where we should be. It's full of itself. It's arrogant, as I said, full of hot air. And uh, when you're full of yourself, there's no space for anything or anybody else. Why do you think Hashem may Paro harden his heart and not let the Jews go free? Does it be that Paro decided this for himself? Then for him. It was actually an interesting thing. At first, Paro kept on hardening his own heart. And uh, the idea of hardening his own heart was, just by the way, the word for um, heart is lave, and the word for hardening is kaved. Kaved. And the kaved in the human body is actually the liver. So Hashem made his heart like his liver. The liver is not um, the warmest and it's not the kindest and it's not the best. This was actually what happened. Pharaoh's heart became heavy. It became hardened. And from time to time, he, in the beginning, hardened his own heart. Eventually, Hashem showed him that, you know what, Pharaoh, you think you're a god and you think you're the king, but I'm going to take away something that every other person has, which is something that we call free choice. I'm going to take that away from you. And you're going to want to. Let the Jewish people go. I'm going to harden your heart to show you that you actually have no free choice. You can't actually do this anymore. So Hashem hardened his heart. Um, when in the latter part of our stay in Egypt, Hashem hardened the heart of Pharaoh to make him realize and to make the world realize that he wasn't even like a regular man, never mind that he wasn't even a god. How did the Jews... Jews get to be slaves in the first place. How do we get to be slaves in the first place? Well, we came to, you, you tell me, I, I told you I was going to ask you some questions. Why is this interview different from all other interviews? Here goes a question. Who, how did we get to Egypt in the first place? Yosef. We, Yosef. Yosef. How did that happen? It's because, um, he, oh, his brothers sold him as slaves. They sold him into slavery. Isn't that interesting? All those years before, they actually sold him to slavery. They were almost prophesying. They were almost showing that the Jewish people were going down to Egypt to be slaves. We all know the story with Yosef, right? Yeah. He eventually wound up in prison um, on trumped up, on, uh, or maybe that's a bad word to use today, on charges that they shouldn't have been. And um, he eventually got out of there and he became the hero and the viceroy of Egypt. He became second to Paroi. And then the Jewish people were freed. Then he brought his brothers and everybody down there. Eventually they came, they settled. Everything was great. But then the Torah just says there was a new pharaoh who didn't know about Yosef. There was a new pharaoh, a new ruler, who came about and changed everything. And um, he decided to enslave the Jewish people. But you know why he enslaved the Jewish people, I think? He didn't want them to leave. He didn't want them to leave Egypt. He wanted to make sure that they became Egyptian and they became the workforce of Egypt. And so he had to work out many ways to keep them in that environment, working hard for the sake of his state, for the sake of Egypt, Mitzrayim, which was huge and powerful. He wanted to keep them there. And eventually the only way that he could keep them there was by turning them into slaves. He made them slaves, and being slaves 
is the opposite of what we celebrate at Pesach time. So let's move on and talk about getting out of Egypt and not about being slaves anymore. So I think we're going to have a break now, quickly. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. This is Hi Kids for Kids Bar Kids. My name is Jonathan Bricker and you're still listening to the Hi Kids Show on 101.9 Hi FM. Let's carry on with our question. Chili is bitter. Instead of moral, why don't we eat that? Chili is bitter. Uh, I think chili is strong. The idea here is not to uh, be that strong that it kind of blows your your eyes out or gives you that, uh, you know, sometimes when you eat those strong foods or like a lot of maror, gives you a bit of a headache, hits you in the in the head. You feel like you, you've taken a whack, right? It's not meant to really be that. It's got to be a bitter taste, bitter taste on the tongue. Um, so we try and find something that is bitter. But at the same time, we've got to make it that it's more or less edible, that um, people can swallow it because... With everything in the Seder, there is a an amount that has to be eaten. And there's quite a lot of maror that has to be eaten. It's not just a little taste. It's not just to dab it on your tongue and have that taste. If you had a lot of chilies, I don't think there would be a lot of people who would be able to complete it. And that's why I know that's one of your other questions that you may be thinking of asking me is, what do we actually use for maror? Well, maror is usually, a lot of people use, horseradish. Horseradish is that really bitter stuff that we make into chrein, and a lot of people put all sorts of uh, liquids with it to make it uh, red with beetroot and all of that sort of stuff to make it a little bit more palatable, a little bit more tasty. But you can also use something that is called romaine lettuce, which has a bitter aftertaste. It's um, not necessarily as bitter as chrein. It's not as strong as chrein. But the idea here, and I think is important, is that it's about a bitter taste, to remember the bitterness that we had in Egypt and um, that it wasn't exactly sweet. Okay. So wh- why did the ten plagues if affect the Egyptians and not the Jews? Well, um, each one of the ten plagues, really, if we think about it, was designed to give the Egyptians a little bit of a taste of their own medicine. Now, why I say that is because um, have you ever thought about the fact, and I'm sure you have, that each plague is quite strange. Um, if you wanted to um, wage war, or you wanted to um, teach a nation like the Egyptians a lesson for having enslaved the Jewish people and treated us harshly and killed a lot of Jews and whipped people and done all sorts of nasty things to us, if we really wanted to teach them a lesson, would you have thought of blood and frogs mm-hmm. and lice nope. and... It's peculiar things, aren't they strange? Yeah. Isn't it like also weird, like how they came? Blood. Absolutely. The blood in the, fro- in the frogs, there was just a massive frog coming out of the river, yes. and the now, yeah. and then smaller frogs coming out. Yeah, but think of, but Same with the hail. Ours with fire. It's all strange. Very strange. These are, stu- these are stuff like you can never see again. Not only can you never see them again, but they're very strange. Why do you think, why is it that Hashem made these peculiar, strange plagues. They are weird. They're funny things. Well, I think that maybe we've got to think about it a little bit more deeply, and there's an underlying lesson in each one of the plagues. And perhaps just to make it a little bit easier, and uh, perhaps for your listeners as well, to uh, think about it, let's take one of those plagues and think about what it could actually mean. And I'm going to pick on frogs. You mentioned frogs. So let's think about frogs. What are frogs? Do you like frogs? 
certain ways. Honestly. Certain ways I can. Okay. Would you have one in your bed with you at mm. night? Would you like one on your Pesach no. table? <clears throat> no. No, me neither. The idea of frogs is that they are slimy. They're slippery. We've got the shank, but we've got the we've got the we don't need the frog. We've already got we've already got the cock, yeah. Like I, the I hope you've only got that and not the frog. I wouldn't want a frog on your side table at all. <clears throat> First of all, frogs are not kosher, and secondly, they're not very nice. They're not the most pleasant kind of of uh, of creatures. But what's important about them, and this you must have studied a little bit in science or biology, I is that science you don't. Can okay, I? what about biology? Anything about frogs? Have you ever learned about frogs? What's different? What? Why is why are frogs different from all other um, creatures that you might think about? Frogs are cold-blooded. They've got a cold. Yeah. But they've got cold blood. They're not warm-blooded like Like we are or like other animals are, right? A lot of other animals. They live partially in the water. They can live on land as well. But you know something interesting about frogs? Frogs lay their eggs in the water and then they abandon them. Think about it. Frogs lay their eggs in water and then they leave them alone. They swim away. They go off. They leave them. And if the tadpoles hatch, they hatch. If they don't hatch, they don't hatch. And the frog has no connection with its young. Now, that's actually what the Egyptians did to us. They took the men and the women away to work far away from home. They took the kids. If they weren't throwing them into the Nile and trying to kill them off, they took them away from them. And they put them in nurseries or whatever it was away from their parents. They broke up families. That's what the Egyptians did. The frogs... Or the epitome of the frogs symbolize the idea of broken families. That's what the Egyptians did to us. Hashem says, you did that to my people. I'm going to bring those frogs back to haunt you. Now, when we take each plague, and there's an interpretation that you could go on and on and on about each one in a similar way. In that kind of a way, you think about each plague was directed at the Mitzrayim, at the Egyptians, because of something that they did to us. And each one of them is a message in and of itself. Frogs were dafka sent. Hashem made sure that it was frogs to teach the Egyptians a lesson. Tell us about the spreading of the sea. How did it happen? How did it happen? Well, we came to the sea. The Jewish people, now I think that you're uh, old enough to know and uh, you've been around long enough to know that um, Jewish people have different opinions. Um, not everybody thinks the same. We even mentioned it before. There are different interpretations about yeah. just about everything. Could you imagine the whole Jewish people, millions of people who came to the banks of this sea, and it was a big sea. It's not just a little trickle of water. It wasn't just like crossing the Yixke or the Oppis River. It was a big sea, massive, big thing right? that was in front of them. The Egyptians were closing in, an army closing in from all sides. And the Jews had a few options open to them. There were certain of them who said, you know what, let's give up. Let's tell them we're giving up and go home and go back to Egypt. There were some of them who said, you know what, let's rather kill ourselves rather than go back. There were others who said it's a time for us to pray to Hashem. There were all sorts of different opinions as to what we should do. There was only one man in and amongst all the Jews who said, let's move forward. Hashem told us to go to Harsinai. Wasn't he the one who walked into the water and came up to his neck? That's right. You know it well. So his name was Nachshon. Nachshon bin Aminadav. He walked into the sea and the sea split. Only one man amongst all the others, millions of people who were there 
on the banks of the sea on that day. Only one knew exactly what to do. And he. Not even Moshe. Not even Moshe. You know what? It's a good question. Moshe wanted to dive into Hashem. He said, Hashem, please help us. And Hashem says to him, listen, Moshe, there's a time for davening and there's a time for moving forward. Now's the time to move forward. And only because Nachshon moved forward that the whole people start following and the sea split. So it was because man did what Hashem wanted from him that Hashem could make his great miracles. Who are the most important people at the Seder? How can we make the Seder fun? The most important people at the Seder are the people who I hope are listening to you right now. The most important people at the Seder are the children. Everything in the Seder is designed around the children. Everything, including the four questions, the four sons, um, all sorts of things. The uh, look and see and feel, as we were talking about it before, the 4D kind of an experience. The children are the most important because we've got an obligation to teach our children and to make sure that the children understand what Pesach is all about, what freedom is all about, and what the Seder is all about. The most important people at the Seder are the children. Now, you, there may be some listening out there are going to say, but what happens if you've got a Seder when there are no children? Well, you know that inside each and every one of us, there's a child. Each and every one of us has a child within. A child, some part of us that is sweet, that's innocent, that's good, that's kind, that's just like a child. And we've got to maybe talk to that child within ourselves at the Pesach Seder as well. Why do we sing Manishtana? Like, like, if we already know the answers, but like, why do we still have to sing it? So you know the answers. Yeah. Is it too, is okay. It, why do we recline? Too, why do we lean at the Pesach Seder? That's one of the questions. To, re- to represent like luxury. Luxury and freedom. Okay. Why do we eat matzah? We eat matzah because it's nachomet, and the Jews couldn't let their dough rise. Okay. No. Very good. So you got those right. Okay. Why do we dip? We dip twice at the Pesach Seder. Again, luxury. Dipping is a luxury. Yep. I don't know. I think it's quite cheap when people take their like a, like you think about people dipping a, uh, I don't know, a rusk in a cup of coffee. All right, that's not exactly sophisticated way of eating. Do you, would you imagine the queen would dip a, a rusk into 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 a coffee? I don't think so. Into a tea, yes. Hmm? Into a tea, yes. Oh, a tea. You're right. You're right. Okay, you're, you're point taken. Yeah, tea with milk. I forgot who I'm talking about. We're talking about that queen. Yes. Now, the the point is that we do have some of the answers, but we don't have all the answers. And part of our humbleness and humility is to remember there is so much else that could be answered, and there's so much else to talk about. These are just meant to be chapter headings, just to prick the imagination, to get us talking, and you're going to be amazed at where it can take you. And hopefully your Seder will last the whole night right up until the morning with all the questions and all the answers. My name is Jonathan Brick and I'm 10 years old. Thank you to my guest Rabbi Katz for coming on Chakiz and thank you to my producer Mandy and Craig for pushing the big red buttons. Join us on Monday for another Chakiz show only on 101.9 Chai FM. Goodbye kids. Chag Pesach Samayach and Shabbat Shalom kids.